a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome in another episode. It's Utah's Well Tomac, Steve Bottle. And we're changing it up again, Steve. Man, we've done this a lot. So I've, so I've just noticed everybody's been using Zoom. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what are we doing? You know, love Skype, no disrespect. You know, they've been around. They've been in business for a long time. <laughs> they've been in business because they're good what they do. But Zoom is this new, new, new era of, uh, yeah. of conference calls, if you will. And so here we are. We're on Zoom. I think the, I think the, just the quality is a bit better, it seems like. So um, anywho, how, how are you? I'm doing good. You know, we, uh, big Brian Brown and myself, we also had to join the Zoom movement. We did a little video recording the other day as well. So yeah, I think, you know, this is, I'm glad that we're here, um, but I'm good, man. You know, we're into what, week four, week three, week four of, of quarantine life and you know, my hair is awful. I look yeah. like a mess. No, you look good, Steve. Ah, I I wouldn't go that far, Tom, but thank you. I appreciate it. You're you're maintaining a well kept look. I am wearing a hat for a reason, Tom. So well, let's just um, say that. Yeah, but my my hair's falling out. So I'm just holding <laughs> on to every bit I can get, Steve. <laughs> hey, um before before we go any further, we need to get Big Brownie Bear on this show. Make an appearance. Ooh. Ooh, did you okay. know, Steve? Did you know? Fun fact, and I apologize to all our listeners that, that, that might not care for this necessarily, but Brownie and my wife grew up in the same neighborhood. No kidding. Yeah. So, in, in fact, he's quite good friends with my brother-in-laws, two of them. They're only two years apart. And his parents, Kate, what, what, what are they called again? What's his mum's name? Linda. 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 I always no forget kidding. Linda's name. But she's like the, the nicest lady known to mankind. Of course, Big Guy Brown's got bigger mitts than one can yeah. ever imagine. You've got bare mitts, old Guy Brown. Oh, yeah. He lives like a, they live like a street away from my, uh, my in-laws. No kidding. Yeah. So we walked All right. Before we moved houses, and we're not that far away still, mind you, but we used to walk the neighborhood a time. We'd see Big Brownie out yeah. there mowing the lawn. And- we talked about that all the time. He's the man. Yeah, we'll, we'll get him on here then. Yeah, we need to get well, right. Hey, wh- where are you, by the way? Sorry, I, as you chug you know, some I'm monster. In my, I'm in my little man cave here. I'm in my little man cave. So I've got, you know, sombrero right here. I've got, you know, other things in the room. I can't really move my 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 That's laptop okay. too much. But uh, just just a little man cave here. It's a, a nice little setup. What, why have you not mentioned that you have a, is it a Utah man cave in particular? Yes. What, oh, why yeah, have yeah. you not mentioned this? I'm, I, you know, it's. I don't know. You know, it's just I've uh, I don't know why I haven't mentioned it. Uh, we're we're uh, we're working on things. We're we're I don't know, Tom. I don't know. 
<laughs> no, neither do I, but you're a man of mystery, and that's what we like about you. Hey, uh, big shout-out, Nate Wade Subaru, of course, 1207 South Main Street, Salt Lake City. I went down there um, last week, and they said that they – and I can't remember what day this was. It must have been a Monday or a Tuesday, and they said, you know, the day previous, they sold 12 cars. They said, you know, regardless of the situation, a 12-car day for us is, is, is pretty good. So people yeah. are still going down. And, and they're buying cars, which is, which is great to hear, support local business. And Nate Wade Subaru, no, no better place to be if you're in the market for a car. I've said it before. I'll say it again. There's a, there's a very good reason. When you're out there driving around, you see more Subarus than, uh, than any other vehicle. So, um, and, and the majority of them come from Nate Wade. So uh, big shout-out to them. Thanks for supporting us. And thanks to all the fans and listeners or whoever you are that tune into this and, and make it all possible. We appreciate you. Steve, we've got a big show where uh, we'll, we'll talk about Isaac Asiata. I think that's first and foremost. Yeah. He was uh, sworn in as a Provo police officer. We'll get into kind of life after football, what it's like, what these guys are going through, the, the seniors from last year and, and the differences that uh, the, the college game and, and the professional game bring. Um, and, then, and then it's probably worth just discussing, I guess, uh, without trying to offend anybody up there on the hill, of course, what is it going to take for Utah to get over the hump? You know, they've, they've come so close for crying out yeah. loud. Two straight years now they've made it to the Pac-12 championship game and they've fallen short. So um, will, this, will this be the year? Um, you know, the expectations, I think, certainly aren't as high as they were this time last year. Um, but that's not to say that they can't get back there and potentially compete for a Pac-12 championship. But first, Steve, Isaac Asiata, what a man. What, you know, retired from the NFL, now he's a Provo police officer. What do you make of that story? Fantastic. Uh, you know, the, just it's something that he always wanted. Um, you know, he's talked about it time and time again, is that he always wanted to serve and, and be a police officer. And the fact that he was sworn in the other day, yesterday, um, just a tremendous opportunity for him uh, to get in a field that you know he's passionate about, um, and and a great opportunity for him to give back to his community and, and that. So really excited for him. I know that he's excited for it, and and it just it means a lot to see those guys have those opportunities after football because you know there's there's I think it's kind of like a, they in a way football. Once guys leave the game, once they retire, they, they kind of become, you know, an afterthought, you know, and, and it's some guys you're concerned about, some guys you're not. And Isaac was never one that I don't think any, many of us were concerned about. He was, you know, very uh, – he had a great personality and was able to, to connect with a lot of people. And, you know, he always seemed to have a plan. And, and so it's just good to see these guys take steps after football and – and continue their lives and, and, and that kind of thing. So really excited for Isaac. Yeah, no, I, th I think it's a, a tremendous feat. Um, I, I was texting back and forth with him, actually, and um, I, I got a quote. The story, by the way, you can read about it at, at kslsports.com, and, uh, and I'm sure the guys over at utezone.com, you, you and your gang, Steve. Uh, do you guys have a story up at the minute? Or you we don't have a story. No, we will. Okay, you will. There you go. Sorry, I'm putting more work on your plate. Um, <laughs> it's needed, though. I'm making promises. <laughs> anyway, um, Isaac's, uh, Isaac's texted me, and yeah, you know, I asked him kind of for a quote for the story. He says, quote, uh, I honestly feel like my decision to become a police officer is no more important 
or as big of a moment as the countless others in this nation who swear to protect and serve their communities. I'm just happy to be a part of something bigger than myself. And, and this isn't the first time I've been fortunate enough to talk to Isaac about the decision to, to become a police officer. He just said, you know, he grew up uh, in a household that was all about giving and sharing, and, uh, and he appreciates his, his mother for teaching him those guidelines, those life lessons. And, and he said, if, when football comes to an end, I just want to do something to, to help other people out. And that's just the type of bloke he is. He's, he's really giving um, and forthcoming, and, uh, and, and he'll do anything to, to help you out if you need it. So just, um, just really happy for him, I guess, more than anything, to be able to do what he's passionate about because I yeah. think that's really important. You know, you get done with, with playing football and, and I guess to a, to a certain extent I went through this a little bit, but you get done um, while you're playing, you, you don't really think too much about what you're going to do after yeah. you get done playing. I think, I think if, if you end up playing in the NFL for 10 or so seasons, that thought would probably start creeping in. Um, but when you're just trying to get going in the National Football League and you're trying to make some dough and, and, and create a name and a buzz for yourself, it's, it's, your mind is fixated on the task at hand and that's, that's securing a 53-man roster spot. Um, and, and when that doesn't happen, um, you're quickly hit with, with this... this this problem, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to get, how am I going to get by? How am I going to make a living? Cause at the end of the day, it's a pretty big decision to make. Mm. And, and of course, you know, the first job you have doesn't necessarily have to mean you work in that industry your entire career, but, right. um, but, but, but it is daunting. There's no doubt about it. And Isaac, I think knew pretty early on, um, that's the path he was going to take. And, and he did. And, um, I think I think it's also fair to say, Steve, that the people down in Provo just just became that little bit more safer. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I I oh, um, yeah. I saw some. You know, he he uploaded photos on his social media. He couldn't. I think you can follow him at Asiata Five, and then the number four um, of him in his kind of big buff, you know, uniform, mm. medium medium shirt when he needs an extra <laughs> large. And I'm like, man, I I would not want to run into him if no. I did something wrong. <laughs> no. <laughs> It's I'm like, trying my best to run away. It's like, what do you, what do you want, officer? Just take it. Okay. Yeah, I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> but uh, anywho, no, we, we, we love Isaac and uh, we appreciate him. Um, great ambassador for the University of Utah football team as well. Yeah, you know, it's funny as, as, we were, as we've been talking about this, my mind started to wander and, and think of, you know, other Utah football players that have moved on from football and, and thinking of yourself and, what you've got going on in your career while you're not part, maybe not serving the community, like in, in a role that Isaac Asiata is, you're playing a vital role in, in your media mogul pursuit. And, you know, you're, you're providing entertainment in a way and, and you're, you're doing your thing there. Uh, Stevenson Sylvester has, has taken on a great task of, of serving others. Uh, there's been just a number of guys that have come through the program that are now in, opportunities and roles post-football um, that are all geared towards just helping and, and developing. And I think that speaks a lot to the type of person, the type of character that Coach Whittingham and his staff like to bring into the program. And, and they make, I think, you know, and you can speak more that, to this than I can because I, I didn't go through the, 
the, the football program, but it always seems that Coach Whittingham, you know, has has his eye on, on obviously football, getting guys their degrees and, 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 you know, getting to the NFL. But I think there's a larger scope here within the football program that, you know, football is going to end. And I think Utah and the staff and, um, and just the, not just the coaching staff, but the, the secondary, the auxiliary personnel and that kind of thing do a great job of preparing these guys for, for life after football. Yeah, no, it's, um, I think a lot of fans, Steve, would be amazed at the resources the football team puts in place for the, for the playing group to succeed post football. I mean, they have, they have a large number of people, a large group of people dedicated simply to, to trying to, to better the current players to, to make it when this is all said and yeah. done. Because, you know, the, the grim reality is when, when you're on a college football team, um, you, you, might, you probably won't play in the National Football League. You know, it's just that's the bottom line. There's a very small portion of 120-odd people or however many they have on any given football team that, that'll make it in the pros and make good money playing. So um, you could start four years. You know, you could, you could start every game for four years and, and you might still not make it. I mean, there's no yeah. guarantees. So, um, so they're well aware and, 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 and Coach Whittingham he talks about it like you know, almost every day. You know, how are the grades? How, how has school going? Do you need any, any help in any areas? What can we do? What are you interested in? Can we set you up with some sort of internship? You know, mm-hmm. you, I saw uh, Bill Riley over at, over at uh, the sports radio station he runs. He had a few players in last summer interning yeah. with him. And I, you know, I think it's just stuff like that, that that goes a long way. I think that, that, to me, is what kind of separates Utah football from so many other football programs. It puts them in the same realm if you will as the likes of Stanford quite frankly you know you're setting these guys up to uh, to have success whether it's in in the game of football or not I think another example with with a former player serving his community is is Travis Wilson the former quarterback um, one of my good friends of course he's he's not quite there yet but he's working on uh, becoming a firefighter um, awesome. which is which is really cool I mean uh, I, I personally feel great industry for Travis to go in. Um, you know, if there's a fire on, on a first floor, first floor, second floor, probably don't need a ladder. Um, just kind of just climb up, you know, just barehanded. He's, mm-hmm. he's nine feet tall, so <laughs> that helps, right? Be able to reach those places that other firemen can't. Exactly. Exactly. So you know, and, and and while we've been talking, my mind again went to a, a, another thing here. Just worth mentioning is is the you know the the athletic department, the football program has set up the Ute Academy, which is something that is geared towards getting these kids while they're student athletes um, into internships, into roles that. Um, you know, where they're contributing to the community and that kind of thing. I, I think, you know, Terrell Burgess is going to be the next guy in, in, in a long list of guys that's going to serve the community. He's been very active since, you know, even during his football career, but he's been very active in, you know, being active in the community and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, again, Utah football and, and Coach Whittingham and the, the entire athletic department they take the stuff seriously, and, and, it, and it's good to see these guys thriving after football because, you know, you, you think of Isaac Asiata bringing it back to him. He was, you know, a fifth-round pick um, of the Miami Dolphins. He was heading into, what, year th- year four 
with the Dolphins and uh, had signed with the Bills eventually uh, before he called it a career. But I, I think, you know, even when you're a, a you know, fourth, fifth, sixth round pick, it's not guaranteed. And, you know, some guys will continue to, to fight and scrap through, uh, you know, over time and, and make a career of it. Dominic Hatfield is a, a great example of that. I guess just a guy, you know, who's, who's working his tail off to make it in the NFL. But, you know, a lot of guys are set up nicely after football. And I think Utah does a tremendous job with that, with Isaac Asiata being the latest, you know, and, and adding his name to that. So uh, just, just an awesome accomplishment for Isaac. And, uh, and again, speaks to uh, the Utah football program on what they're doing and in, in preparing you guys, um, you know, for, for post-football life. It's awesome. It is. It, it's cool. And to go, I guess, full circle with the whole Isaac Asiata story, it's worth noting that um, I was talking to him, and, and he's been pretty public about this as well. Um, he just fell, fell out of love with the game. And I know a lot of football yeah. fans are just like, how, how is that even possible? You know, like you make minimum half a million dollars doing this. I mean, the chances, yep. the chances of you making that kind of money, you know, when you, when you get done playing the game, very slim. You know, not many people make that, that sort of coin. But, but to Isaac, it wasn't about the money. It never was. And I think for a lot of these guys, um, it, it never is about the money. It's a game you grow up playing. You fall in love with the game early. Uh, of course, politics creep in, hopefully later. Um, but sometimes, you know, nowadays there, there are some politics that creep in around the Pee Wee Football League, which, which you know, I just, I just hate to hear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, you know, you, if you don't love the game, then what's, what's the point? It's also, you know, he was telling me that, his body was breaking down on him. He, he played, obviously, he, he was a guard um, on the offensive line, a, a very physical position, one of the more physical positions on any football pitch and, um, or football field. Sorry, I'm, I'm going back and forth between soccer and football, I guess. People don't <laughs> like that. Um, but he said, like, his knees were so sore. He'd have a hard time picking up his little baby, Nora, uh, um, uh, after practice. And it's like, man, what am I doing? Yeah, shoulders aching when he's just sitting there trying to eat dinner with his family at nighttime it's like come on like I think that also helped his decision to to just end so everybody's got their own story everybody acts differently some respond better than others and for Isaac I think his body had had just subtly told him that you know what man money this money's great but you know what you you've made a good chunk of change already it's it's probably time and best to move on but you know, he, he, he said he was a red-hot chance. And the coaches told him this over at the Bills. He was a red-hot chance to make that 53-man roster. So um, huh. he decided against it, which is yeah. all the more power to him, I guess. He, he left on his, on his, uh, on his, on his own and, and went on to do something he, he's passionate about, which is, which is cool. Yeah. So uh, life after football, Steve, is, is different. Um, and it's, it's a subject we, we should probably get in. It, it's a hard subject to talk about right now because I, I cannot talk from experience what these guys that are trying to make it in the NFL are going through because this is unique. You know, there's no pro day. So right. you, can't, I, you can't work out for teams. Um, but no, no, teams would normally fly in, you know, and, and, and work players out. That's not happening because right. you can't have any interaction. Um, so it's, it's, it must be such a surreal feeling for this class to – they probably honestly have very little idea as to what's going to happen come the end of this month when 
the NFL draft takes place. Um, so so it's just, it's really, really odd. It's, it's hard for me to talk about because I don't have any experience with it. I, I always had, when I was trying to make it, I, there was always kind of like, okay, the, the combine's here, then we have, then we have uh, pro day, and then hopefully I get a few workouts, and then there's the draft, and then, you know, I head on out. But the, these guys don't have that. We talked last week about Tyler Huntley putting on his own pro day, which I mm-hmm. think was, was kind of cool. Um, some of the other guys have done it. Zach Moss is has been filming himself run 40s and the like and and all that. But th- these guys are in the dark, aren't they, when it comes to kind of their future with, with the game of football? Yeah. You know, right now a lot of guys, I think there's a group of of players that are moving on from the program that have a, a really good shot at being drafted. You know, I think there's 10, 11 guys that have the opportunity, some better than others. But I think that there's 10, 11 guys that really have um, – you know, a, a legitimate shot at hearing their names called in the NFL draft in a few weeks. And, um, but there, there are a few that were really dependent on having that pro day on having those opportunities to get in front of coaches, to get in front of scouts, interview, talk, and, and kind of showcase their stuff because they didn't get, you know, the type of playing time that, you know, Lecky Fochu, Francis Bernard, Zach Moss and, and Darren Paulo got. They didn't get that opportunity to be on the field as much. And so, you know, a guy that's 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 been helpful here with with our show, Paul Tuwala. You know, we've been texting back and forth uh, lately, and you know, he told me on Sunday that you know his football career is over. That he's he's moving on from football. He's focusing on just just finding a you know getting into a, his job that. Uh, in the financial world and is just trying to make his way now there. And so that's the reality that uh, some of these guys are going to have to face that, yeah, football is over and it's tough. And, and I can't imagine, you know, playing something for so long, you know, having it be such a vital part of your life, it pays for your schooling at, at college um, to have the opportunities to, to run out in front of 50,000 fans, you know, once a week, uh, just a, a great opportunity and, and just a lot of memories. And I can't imagine being forced to walk away from that at such an early age. Like to me, I can't comprehend the feelings and, and the emotions that go into that decision to say, yeah, you know, I'm done playing the game that I love. It's tough. You know, it's, it's gotta be tough. Um, but for the guys that, that have, you know, the opportunity to move on to football. I think this is a unique situation where we, we know who, who the guys are that are going to be selected early, right? We know, you know, Zach Moss, Jalen Johnson, Terrell Burrs. We know those guys are going to be drafted early. The, the big question is, how does this affect a guy like, uh, you know, obviously Tyler Huntley, um, a guy like maybe Josh Nurse or Tariq Lewis or Damari Simpkins? How does this situation, how does not having that pro day in those meetings, those interviews, how does, how does this impact those guys? And I think that's the big question right now is what do they do um, to help themselves? What do they, what can they do? Uh, you know, how close are they to, you know, hearing their names called? Well, you know what I mean? It's just, right. it's just tough to, to think what what's going on right now and 
and just how these guys are working through it. Some of these guys are, are really kind of taking the, the initiative. Tyler Huntley, as you mentioned, posting his, his workout video was, was a great thing for him. Uh, but it, it's really going to be fascinating uh, in, in three weeks when the NFL draft begins to see, you know, how this really kind of plays out. Right. I, I, I think, you know, that I guess to, to try and put a positive spin on all of this, the, the XFL that, um, that got their season under away before it was shut down due to the coronavirus was having a fair bit of success. Um, and, and of course, you know, who knows how long it'll last that there really hasn't been a league secondary to the national football league that survived. So, yeah. you know, I, I say this with a grain of salt, of course, but hopefully it, it, the XSFL is around for at least three, four, five more years, may hopefully longer, of course, but at least that, at least that time it, it's around. So these guys like Tariq Lewis and even John Penasini, who knows if he gets picked up or not. You know, they, they still have a chance to play the game of football. When, when I was coming out in 2015, there wasn't anything like that. It was basically, you know, you play in the, football, in the NFL, maybe you go to Canada. Uh, and if you really love the game enough, you can go to Europe. But the it XFL, is. I think, is, is, is really good. I think it's really good for the game because it gives... Kareem Ballard, for example, he was yeah. playing in the XFL, um, I think, for the Houston team down there. And it just, you know, not only does it provide a paycheck... Um, but it also gives guys opportunities co- to continue to try and play at the top level. And, and there have been a few guys that have signed NFL contracts coming out of the short XFL season that it was, which is promising for a lot of guys um, within the Utah football program that might not hear their name called and might not get a phone call after the draft asking if they'd be interested in, um, in signing an undrafted uh, free agent contract. So, you know, you, you do have to try and find positives. And, and I think the XFL right now is something that a lot of kids are, um, are relying on, which, which yeah. is great because that, that wasn't available. That wasn't available a couple of years ago. So I'm hoping that that league can survive. I'm in fully, I fully support that, that football league. And I hope, um, I hope it can provide uh, not only a paycheck, but an opportunity for kids that, that aren't quite ready or developed enough to play in the NFL. So, um, you, you mentioned that there could be 10 or 11 Utah guys getting drafted. We, we, we don't need to, Steve, maybe we can save it for closer to draft day next week or so. We can go through who exactly you think will end up hearing their name or who could potentially yeah. hear their name. Cool. But, but from a recruiting standpoint, I'm curious, and I always have been, I probably should have asked you this question a long time ago, but does the amount of players drafted from Utah football, does, does it have a direct correlation to the success the team has from a recruiting standpoint? It, it, and I guess maybe like how drastic is it? Because I'm, I'm sure it has to have some positive effect, some way, shape, or form. But, but does it really kind of move the needle for Bobby Blacken and the recruiting staff up at Utah, do you think? Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Absolutely. Yeah, it absolutely plays a vital role. And it's, it's a key piece to Utah's recruiting pitch to a lot of these kids. You know, when I ask 
when I reach out to kids and talk to them for interviews, um, and I ask them, you know, what is what is Utah? Um, what is their pitch to you? What are they What are they telling you? And you know, one of the first things that they'll mention is that they send guys to the NFL. Uh, you know, and and it speaks to just their ability to develop. I think. Somebody tweeted out just the list of, of draft selections over the last few years, and I think Utah was had the fourth most um, in 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 the Pac-12 of total players selected over the last five years. I want to say, um, and this year they're going to have an opportunity to you know move up that list because they're going to have you know eight, possibly nine guys, possibly more. Um, they're going to have a handful of guys drafted to add to that total. And so I, I did a, I, I, I published a plea a piece for utezone.com last year around the draft that took a look at the correlation between recruiting success, season success, and then NFL success. And, and I did it in, in a period of three years, every three years. And each of the last so there were three periods. Well, what was it? I think it was two seasons. I went back to 2012. And over the last, I think the last three periods, each one of those, the win totals, the, the NFL draft selections, just the total amount of draft selections, and then the average recruiting ranking of kids coming into that program um, rose uh, every year. So there's a direct correlation between recruiting, season success, and NFL, um, you know, drafts success and that kind of thing. And it all plays a role in, in, into the other. And so it's, it's fascinating to look into that. I'll be publishing, you know, an updated piece that uh, with, with those updated numbers after the draft this year as well. But, yeah, it absolutely plays a role for Utah on their recruitment of some of these top tier kids and not just top tier kids, but just the, the kids that they target uh, in general, just it's, it's a vital piece of their pitch. Um, and when you send as many kids and develop as many kids to the NFL, uh, you know, why not brag about it a little bit, use that. Like that's a big tool to use because a lot of these kids, that's their goal. That's their dream is they want to get to the NFL and Utah does a tremendous job of getting you there. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's certainly an interesting topic of conversation. Utah's draft success has predominantly come on the defensive side of the ball, um, and for you know a number of reasons. Utah under Carl Whittingham, who's a defensive-minded coach, is typically uh, pretty strong defensively. They've they've had their 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 worries, their concerns on the offensive side, and and fans have been pretty. Um, pretty public about their frustrations with with some of the offensive play calling or, or just just personnel quite frankly but I think the next step for Utah football and, and this I guess this is this is kind of my little segue into how Utah can get over the hump in the Pac-12 would be from an offensive perspective they they need to get just a little bit more explosive you know they they they, they you look at some of the better teams in the country, the Alabamas, Clemsons, you know, the top tier guys um, and teams, they are really, really good in all areas of the game. Um, offensively, defensively, I mean, they, 
they can they can win. They can win if if they yeah. if they need to rely on their defense one week, they can. And if they need to rely on their offense to 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 complete a two minute drill late in the fourth quarter, they can typically do that as well. I think for Utah um, specifically, since they've joined the Pac-12, from a defensive perspective, they've been they've been one of the best, if not the best, defensive unit in the entire conference, up there with the likes of the University of Washington. Uh, Stanford have been traditionally really, really, really solid. But offensively, they've they've been good, Steve. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but they could certainly get better, couldn't couldn't they? And I think you know, running backs they've been really they've been really fortunate to have so, so many good running backs. Uh, offensive line, I feel like they're pre- they're pretty normally stout up front, um, and they and they get guys that that a big solid strong physical you know can move their feet if they if they need to get a if they if they need a pulling guard they they have one on the roster that can do so um but from a wide receiver standpoint that's probably the position group that I look at uh, and and maybe even the quarterback I guess during stretches of of their Pac-12 career that you look at and you go man it you just feel as though there's something that is missing you know, like an X factor. You know, you don't. We haven't had Utah hasn't had a wide receiver, for example, that you know, late in the game, you're on the five yard line, and and you need to call a quick slant or a fade route where you know you can throw it up to him, and he'll bring it down. Yeah, they, they just haven't had one of those guys that I think the likes of Oregon, USC, Washington. I mean, all those guys, you know, have had a player or two over the last five years that they can rely on. I, th- I think personally, Steve, that's probably how Utah gets over the hump this year. Can Solomon Enos be that guy? Who, you know, who, who else is there? Britton Covey, is he going to return and be that guy? Yeah, you know, I'm, glad, I'm so glad that you brought this up because, you know, when, when we think back to, you know, the Pac-12 championship game, it became apparent that Utah just didn't have the receiver that they could trust to get open against anybody, right? I think that's been the key that that has separated um, Pac-12 champions, you know, throughout throughout the the history of the Pac-12 and, and Utah is that Utah just hasn't had that receiver that can win against any sort of cornerback any sort of coverage they need a guy that they can go to that they when when they when it's third and seven you need you know you need to pick up seven eight yards he can win on a slant against press coverage with everybody knowing the ball is coming to him you know Utah needs that type of receiver and uh, you know I think obviously we were hoping that Brian Thompson would be that guy you know he was leading the team in receiving yards and production uh, up until the point where his injury kind of took him away from the game. And we missed his presence in the Pac-12 championship game. I, I don't think there's any question about that. He, you know, he was limited in what he was able to do on the field. I think he he suited up. I don't think he played much in that game. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. But, um, but when you look back at Pac-12 champions of the past, uh, their leading receivers. I'll, I'll just read you off the list, Tom. Please. So going back to the Oregon days when they were dominant, they had DeAnthony Thomas was the leading receiver one year, 605 yards. Okay, that's fine. But then you go to Stanford. They had a tight end, Zach Ertz, almost 900 yards receiving. Ty Montgomery the next year, 958 yards. 
Uh, Byron Marshall at, or- at Oregon again, 1,000 yards. Christian McCaffrey, 645 yards. That was the year that uh, Christian McCaffrey and Stanford just had uh, a tremendous running game, and, and McCaffrey was everything. Then you go to Washington. When they started you know, their uptick with John Ross, 1,100 yards. Deontay Burnetta at USC, 1,100 yards. Aaron Fuller for Washington again, 874 yards. And then you look at Utah's production this past season in the passing game. I think Brant Keithy led the team in 600 yards. And so I, it, it, it's, it's just one of those things that you have to have that element uh, of, uh, of just having a dominant receiver that you can trust, that you can go to, a go-to playmaker in the passing game. Uh, obviously, the numbers show that you need to be strong in the run game. I think Coach Whittingham, Coach Scally have talked about um, when you look at champions, they're dominant in the run game on both defense and offense. And I think they have that aspect down, no questions. I think, obviously, you know, they, they were one of the best run defenses in the country. They were one of the best rushing offenses in the country as well. But that can't take away the, the, the reality that you need a big-time playmaker, you know, on the outside, uh, you know, as a pass catcher that can – that you can go to in, in big, big moments. And I think that was what they were missing in those final two games against Oregon and Texas. I, I, I will say, um, if Brian Thompson can stay healthy, uh, I, I think Brian, the combination of Brian Thompson and Brant Keithy could get Utah over the hump. I, I really do. Because I, I, do think, I think Brant Keithy is... He's the future at the tight end position, not only in, in the college game, but you start looking at the NFL as well and, and the Zach Ertz's of the world and, um, and, and, and Travis Kelsey. And then, of course, the fellow out of San Francisco whose name I'm, uh, I can't remember at the minute, but I've had him in my fantasy lineup and he's killed it for me. The tight end for the Niners. Do you remember Kittle, George Kittle? Kittle. George Kittle. Okay. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, like the Kittles <laughs> and the and the Ertzers and the right. Kelseys. I mean, these are guys that they're, they're like they're like a bigger wide receiver at the end of the day, and oh, yeah. they get open and they they find different avenues to do so. I think Brant Keithy's really really impressive, and last year was a great example of that. And Brian Thompson has all the attributes to be one of the best wide receivers in the entire conference. Tall, fast, good route runner, good hands. Uh, doesn't necessarily need to be all that open for him to come down with the football. I mean, like, he is – he's really, really – he just can't stay healthy. So right. um, I guess to, to for Utah to get over the hump, Steve, I, I think Brian Thompson's health is paramount. Um, and I think Brian Keithy plays a big role in that as well. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm glad that you brought that up. I've, you know, as we were talking about, you know, what what Utah needs to get over the hump. I I put together a little list last night. I've got just three keys, and one of them was actually, you know, having a go-to receiver that you can uh, you can rely on in all types of situations. And I think I do think Brian Thompson can be that. It's just again the question of his health is always going to be there. And, um, but I think that he proved himself uh, capable of being that guy last year uh, with what he was able to do on the field. He was a home run threat. Uh, he was able to, to, to bring in some, some t- tough contest, 
catches as well. So I do think Brent Keithy or Brian Thompson, you know, and Brent Keithy can be, you know, a combo that can help Utah. Um, but there were, there was another thing, you know, as I thought back to the Pac-12 championship game that really kind of stuck out was I think Utah has to stay committed to the development of the offensive line. Um, you know, I, I think back to that game and, and watching Oregon, it wasn't, it wasn't Justin Herbert, you know, that was, that was making plays. It was the offensive line that, that led the way. And I think looking at how their offensive line came to be in that game compared to how Utah's, uh, we can talk about Panay Sewell and yes, Utah does need to, you know, if they can land a, a talent like Panay Sewell, that will help a ton because Panay Sewell is an absolute freak. He would probably be a top three draft pick this year as a sophomore. Like he is just, he's a freak of nature. But when you look at the rest of the offensive line, uh, Shane Lemieux, uh, Calvin Throckmorton, and the rest of those guys, we're all part of a 2016 offensive line class for Oregon where they had to, they started early in their careers, some as freshmen and some as, as sophomores. And they, they played throughout their careers and they were developed over time. And those were the guys that kind of led the way for Oregon um, and, and really took it to Utah's defensive line. And so I think for Utah, they're finally at a point where they've got the type of depth where you can have a starting line, but you can develop youth and talent behind it. And you can rotate guys through the offensive line and you can have a starting five. But I think Utah has to stay committed to their development and to their growth. And I think that is also something that can really help Utah get over the hump, you know, the next time they're challenging for, you know, a Pac-12 championship game. So I think a, a good offensive line is going to go a long way. I'm excited about the offensive line. Like this is, this is the part of the program that I'm most excited about because Utah is finally at a place where they have the amount of bodies and the amount of talent that they need to really make this a strong suit of the program. You know, we've talked a lot about Utah and their culture and, and they want to be a, a, a known for their, um, their running game, both stopping the run and, and running the ball themselves. And a big factor in that, a direct factor in that is the, the play of the offensive line. And so, yeah, there were struggles last year. Obviously, we all we all know about that. They, when you're starting a couple freshman troop redshirt freshmen, there's going to be some mistakes. There's going to be some bad play, and there was plenty of it last year. But I think staying committed to those guys, developing them over time, and allowing the youth behind them because there is a lot of of youth and a lot of talent, um, and just continuing to develop those guys. I think that's going to be a big, big aspect of Utah football moving forward that, you know, down the road, you know, as these guys get into their junior and senior seasons, some of these guys get into their junior and senior seasons. I think it's going to be a, a big, big component of Utah's success down the road. Right. I mean, the, the old saying that, you know, any football games won in the trenches, you know, and I, I'm sure a lot of fans kind of hear that and, and they kind of shrug at it. Because, Roll your eyes. You yeah, know, I like, totally oh. get it. Here we yeah. go. It's like okay, yeah, but it, and they and they, they probably think well, if you you know if you, if you if you can't win in the trenches, you can't yeah. But the bottom line is, from an offensive line standpoint and defensive line standpoint, if you have a good defensive line, 
that beats most offensive lines, then the linebackers get helped out, the entire secondary. Uh, life becomes a ton easier, uh, and they're asked to do less. And generally speaking, you play better, much like on the offensive line. If you have a good offensive line, your quarterback has more time in the pocket, your running back has larger, larger holes to run through, um, and it just makes it, it makes for an easier brand of, of football. And, and I think you're exactly right, Steve. You look back at, at Oregon and Texas, you know, in, in that bowl game, and Tyler Huntley didn't have any time. Zach no. Moss, there, were no, there was no gaps for, 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 yeah. for Zach to run through. And, you know, if your quarterback has no time in the pocket and, and your running back has no gaps to run through, I mean, you are limited with what you're able to do offensively just about – everything has to be short and quick. You know, if you can't run the football, then, you, then you're kind of forced to throw it. And if you don't have any time to throw it, then you've got to run quick slants, quick outs, everything kind of five, six, seven yards and, and closer. And when you're down in a ball game like Utah was early against Oregon, you're not going to come back and win that game. You, you, yep. need, you need to be able to, to stretch long Long passes and long plays, big plays, you know, chunk plays as people call them nowadays and, and try and swing the momentum. I thought they did that early in that third quarter. You know, you felt like I think they were down a touchdown. They came out of the gates in the second half swinging and uh, you thought, man, here we go. You know, the, yep. the comeback's on. Uh, yep. But unfortunately, the offensive line for Oregon stepped up to another level. I thought their defensive line also did a really nice job penetrating uh, Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss in the backfield. So um, I, I like that. I think the offensive line coach Harding, who I respect um, almost more than any coach on the, on the, on the coaching staff at the minute, um, I have all the faith in the world that he'll be able to pull something together and, and make it work. But um, anywho, it, it's, it's going to be a fascinating season if there is a season. Um, and yeah. we're optimistic. We cross our fingers. I know, I know. We're optimistic. The, I, I feel as though the last couple days, there's been progress, Steve, when it comes to this pandemic. And so um, who knows what the future will hold, but, um, but boy, it'd be nice for, the, for there to be some football to watch, wouldn't it? Oh, my goodness. Yes, because, I, you know, and I think that we are, we are starting to see progress. We are starting to see things trend the right way, and that's encouraging. But still, that means we got to stay committed to you know, staying inside to, to killing this curve, not just flattening it, but killing this curve. And I think what's, what's, I think in Utah particularly, um, you know, and I hate to turn this into a coronavirus talk, but it's just because it's, it's, it's impacted our lives in such a way that I, I, you know, I've never been through this. I, I'm sure you've never been through something no. like this. Like this is crazy. Um, but I think, you know, the expectation and, and the projection showed that this week was going to be an ugly week for Utah in terms of, you know, cases, death tolls. But I, I hope that we can remain committed to, you know, staying inside, social distancing for, you know, this week and beyond as, as long as we need to. Because, you know, the, the more that we remain committed and the stricter we are to those uh, to those guidelines and, and what is asked of us to stay home, the quicker we can get back to normal. And I think that's what we all want is we want to get back to normal. We want sports again. Um, but that, that requires a lot from us right now. And so we gotta, we all gotta do our part, uh, to, to stay inside, to social distance and, and eventually we will get back to normal, but 
we hope that that includes football as well. That's for sure. Oh, my goodness. So I had this thought last night before we get out of here. I had this thought as I was lying in bed last night. Um, where you do a lot of your great thinking. Yeah, that, they say that, don't they? Well, yeah. I, I don't know if this is necessarily that, but we'll find out. Um, and it's not coronavirus related, but I was thinking you know, they, they call these athletes student athletes and technically, right, the game of college football is an amateur sport. Mm-hmm. And I remember going, and I've had this thought before, but it just kind of came back to me. I said, how can we call the game of college football an amateur sport when there are coaches out there making millions of dollars? Yeah. And I don't, I, don't want to, I don't necessarily want to go down this rabbit hole because it's been done before and I'm sure people are sick of hearing about it. But like, just think about that for a split second. I mean, that, it makes no sense. How is no. that amateur? An amateur what? sport is when volunteers are the coaches, is it not? Yeah. Did, did you see Mike Gundy's – there, there was uh, – Mike Gundy was on like a conference call or something and he talked about getting players back in the program so that they can start funneling money through the economy again. Like, how does that not point to these players, you know, playing a vital role in, you know, the economy and, and directly correlating that to money and what these guys – like, how does that help your case for amateurism? Um, it just – it was mind-blowing to read those Comments kind of you know sickening you know at the same time that Gundy was willing to risk the health of his players for money, but again I think that just points like this is not amateurism, and I think we all are starting to come around and, and starting to realize this is not amateurism. These guys deserve you know to be compensated for their play, particularly football, because it is it's it's it impacts these guys' lives and, and bodies and health for years and years to come, and and they they. They deserve to be compensated, in my opinion. So, yeah, I guess uh, we spoke about this this last week a ton, a, a, a tad. But you know, for the most part, the breadwinner on any college campus is the football team. And, yeah. Uh, you know, part of the problem here is like, you know, put yourself in, um, I don't know, Coach Witt's shoes, for example. The man makes four million bucks a year. You know, he he has you know a ton of money in the bank. You know, stupid amounts of money. Like, like, why would he? You know, he loves what he what he's doing. Why, why would he want to change anything? You know, he, he makes $4 million a year. Like, like if I'm him, I'm going, hey, let's just keep it as is. Yeah. You know? like yeah. So, so the, the powerful folk on any given campus, uh, the ones that make the most money, the football coach, they're happy. They're content. So I don't know how, you know, there, there are some laws now that are creeping in. California was the first to to implement it that uh, maybe one day down the road, 2022, I think is what they're focused on that, that players will eventually be able to get paid. I'm not saying here's the other thing. I'm not saying that that they need to be making millions of dollars a year, you know, but, but I think they need to be making more than 1300 bucks a month. Yeah. Personally. I agree. Oh yeah. I'm with you there. Um, Yeah. I'm with you there. I think these guys deserve to be compensated when you actually break down the numbers of the revenue that that football generates like it's crazy the amount of money in the game in in college football like it's unbelievable and and i i broke i did this thing when Dabo sweeney got his 93 million dollar contract 10 year 93 million if you took just a million from that just a million a year so we're talking what 10 million you take that you divvy that up between 
the 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 scholarship athletes, so eighty five players. I, you know, that's still a large sum of money that can help those guys as as they you know as they go throughout their their athletic career. So it's you know obviously there's it's a heated debate and it has been for years, but I, I think you know we are heading towards name image likeness uh, guys being able to profit off of that at least uh, which is a good thing and I, it's going to be interesting to see how it evolves over the next year or two um, but I, you know we are getting to the point where players are, are going to be compensated for you know especially football for what they do on the field and that kind of thing yeah and I think you know while we're at it let's just get rid of kind of the nonsense surrounding these these benefits that they you know, if somebody wants to give Zach Moss a free meal, Zach Moss should be able to accept Hell yeah. that free meal. I mean, come on, <laughs> yeah. like, let's be real, you know? Like if, if you show up to a golf course and, and the head pro goes, you know what, Billy boy, this one's on me. I love the way you, <laughs> you had nine tackles against Arizona yeah. last year. Like, you know what? I appreciate that. Thanks. You know, <laughs> thanks for, thanks for watching and looking out for me. And yeah, I just think it's crazy. I mean, what these kids can and can't. It's just mind-boggling. I, I honestly think, Steve, that in, you know, in 20-odd in years' time, whatever, down the road, we'll be telling our children kind of the stories as to what we were able to and weren't able to, and they will be blown away. Yeah. It'd be like, we, were you living, like, in a rock in the <laughs> mountain? Like, did you even have internet? Like, what? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just it's crazy <laughs> to me that there's these these handcuffs are placed, yeah. and it's like, well, hold on a second, like you're you're handcuffing me, and I'm I'm basically paying for your you know every two weeks you get a check, and it's yeah. because it's partly because of what I do. Yeah, this is it, Ernie. Anyway, anyway yeah. it's uh, it's I've a got, passionate subject. It is. It is. Yeah. I've got a few stories that one day I'll share when it comes to compliance, but maybe too <laughs> soon right now. Uh, it just really frustrates me. But anywho, Write Steve, a book. Write a book. Oh, I'll get myself <laughs> in trouble. I'll get myself in trouble. But, all right, all right. Um, it's good to see you, as always. It's good to hear from you. Yeah. Uh, go right. get some sun, although that man cave looks awfully I inviting. It. I need it so bad. We'll be back next week. Big thanks, of course, to Nate Wade Subaru 1207. South Main Street, I'm Tom Hackett. That's Steve Bardo. Until next time. Goodbye.